0: Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. This week's episode of The Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by Leyland, Kelsey, Tiffany, and Molly. These are just a few of the patrons of The Rural Woman Podcast supporting the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the podcast on Patreon. With your financial support of the Royal Woman Podcast, you ensure the stories that have either inspired you, motivated you to try something different on your farm, ranch, or homestead, or heck, even just made you a little misty, continue to be shared through your earbuds each and every week. Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com and learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Royal Woman Podcast. On this week's episode, you'll meet Maria Stewart. Maria, along with her husband, own and operate Gorgeous Goat Creamery. Located in the great state of New Jersey, Gorgeous Goat Creamery offers pasteurized goat's milk and farmstead cheeses direct to consumer. They also make small batch handcrafted goat's milk soap. Their mission is to increase community awareness and appreciation for local animal agriculture through the sale of sustainable artisan goat dairy products. I am very excited for you guys to meet another wonderful member of the goat gang here on the Rural Woman Podcast. Before we get to Maria's episode, let's go over our review of the week. This week's rating and review comes from CGF. TX via Apple Podcast This five star rating and review is titled Amazing This podcast is amazing I love hearing the stories of other women in egg and learning about what others are doing Caitlin does a wonderful job asking all the right questions and is great to listen to. I look forward to listening to each and every week. Well, thank you so much for your kind rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. And my friends, like I say every week, if you are enjoying the show, please leave a rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast. This helps it get into the ears of other like-minded people in agriculture and beyond. Plus, you will hear your kind words on an upcoming episode of the show. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Maria. Hi, Maria. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you, Caitlin? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rural Woman Podcast today. I'm excited to share your story. Thanks. I'm so excited to speak with you. It's fun to hear you live.
1: I'm a huge fan of the podcast, so this is
0: extremely special. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's funny to me. You get to know people online, and it's it's very rare that you actually talk to them on the phone or in an in-person setting. So it's always nice to hear one another and hear each other's voices.
1: Yeah, it's almost surreal.
0: (laughs) For the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, tell us where you're from and how did you get your start in agriculture?
1: Well, let's see. We'll start with where I am right now. I'm in West Central New Jersey, and New Jersey is the most densely populated state in the United States. So it's kind of funny that I'm sitting here as a dairy goat farmer. And I hail from I'm outside of the Twin Cities area of Minneapolis and St. Paul. And that's where I I spent my upbringing. My my family had a vegetable farm growing up. So when people ask me, like, you know, what's my agricultural? I have experience, but vegetables are a little different than dairy goats. So I, you know, spent uh, my childhood weeding tomatoes, picking herbs, had a dried flower business when I was kind of a, a... Early teenager and uh, sold corn at the end of the driveway, but something happened when I got into high school, into you know beginning of college, and I decided that agriculture was just not for me. I, I had too much potential to waste it on agriculture. And it's funny to like, think about that now where I'm sitting today, but, uh, I, you know, decided to go off and and pursue some other endeavors and then got drawn back to agriculture. As we settled here in New Jersey, we had an opportunity to purchase 17 acres and it's not tillable. It's mostly forest with a small pasture. And we were, you know, kind of getting, you know, settled in our new habitat here and realized that our forest area was full of invasive species. So we decided to explore non-chemical means of getting rid of the invasive plants. So they're are thorny, nasty brambling plants, multi barberry, those are the two main ones that we have in the forest. So they make thickets that's really hard to, you know, navigate through. So the the woodlands area was really not usable for us because it was so full of these invasive plants. I I went one season spraying roundup on them and I decided that that was not for me. Didn't like the Tyvek suit, didn't like the backpack sprayer. It was very effective, but wanted to look for some non-chemical means. And so we started exploring hiring goats to come on the property so they could eat the invasive plants and they like barberry and multiflora rose. Well, looking at the price tag, I said, you know, we could have our own goats. And my husband kind of looked at me and he's like, uh, you know, I, don't, I don't really do animals. So, you know, I investigated it a little bit and uh, took some classes, went to goat school in Maine for a weekend to actually go to a, a small goat farm and learn about goats hands-on and uh, came home from that and said, we can totally do this. It'll be more affordable than hiring someone else to bring their goats to the property. And, uh, you know, then our forest will be usable. So that was in 2018. And really, I think, you know, the rest is history. Because, you know, once you start down that, you know, that little path of, you know, goats or whatever livestock you might have as a hobby, sometimes it gets a little bit bigger than a hobby. And so now we are actually a licensed farmstead creamery. And so we produce all of our cheese and milk on the farm. So we milk the goats morning and evening. We, you know, do all the milk pasteurizing, all the cheese making. And we just opened up this past summer selling at local farmers markets and to a couple of wholesale accounts.
0: That is a lot of things in the last two years to be doing for somebody who didn't think that agriculture was something that they were going to pursue.
1: <laughs> I know. Isn't that the funniest thing? And I, my parents definitely shake their heads at me saying, you could have had all of this 20 years ago. But you know, I think a lot of people and, and maybe even folks that you've had on the podcast, you know, we've had away from it to realize what agriculture offers us and, you know, have, you know, careers outside of agriculture, have other experiences, you know, be able to you know, travel the world and do things that are a little bit harder to do when you have a, a goat dairy farm. And then
0: you come back to this and say, you know, what? this is actually the lifestyle that I love, community that I love. And so that's where I am now. Totally. And I think it's so funny because like you said, there's definitely you and other people that have been on this podcast that are born and raised in agriculture and then they want experiences outside of agriculture. And then there's those of us who didn't come up in agriculture and then are immersed into this. And it's just this whole new lifestyle. So yeah, like you said, people just need different experiences. And then I think They can really truly appreciate what agriculture brings them into their life and lifestyle.
1: Right. And I think, you know, a good example of, you know, kind of your experience is my husband, he grew up in suburban. You know, Minneapolis and was you know really you know an urban kid grew up and you know even through college so moving to you know the the wilds of New Jersey and I, I say that kind of you know with a sarcastic tone because it is funny to think about that but you know this is the most rural experience he's ever had but he just he's taken to it so much he's a great mechanic he's great with the goats and he likes to be kind of a master of his own universe if you will so um, this kind of lifestyle where it's something different every day I think really suits his personality and his way of working. So, you know, there's someone who's totally, you know, distant from agriculture growing up, but has found that this is
0: a good for him. That's very cool. So let's talk about your former life for a little bit here. So I see that you are a professor with a PhD in nutritional science. So how on earth did you end up a goat farmer?
1: Oh, that's so funny, isn't it? Well, I think this goes back to, you know, the moments I had in high school and college where I said, you know, I I can do so much more than agriculture. So, you know, of course, what do I do? I decided to go to school forever. And uh, I ended up with a a PhD in sciences, thought about being a medical doctor for a while, but that, you know, just didn't end up going my way. And nutritional sciences was really a good fit because i have been involved with food, you know, since the very beginning, since, you know, I was old enough to walk working on the vegetable farm and, you know, seeing, you know, the, the, cultivation of, you know, herbs and, you know, different, you know, vegetable crops, and then taking that to, you know, either, you know, farm stands or, you know, restaurants being really, you know, connected with food, you know, nutritional sciences was a discipline that allowed me to stay connected with food, but do something a little bit outside of that realm. And, you know, my, you know, interest really was, you know, how does food affect health and well-being? How does what you eat change, you know, the way you feel and and the way that, you know, your body is going to perform. Um, I was also a competitive athlete for a while. So that, you know, really kind of went together with the the nutrition and the the athletic endeavors. So I, you know, got my PhD in nutrition. um, That was from the University of Minnesota. And, you know, thought I was going to be on a career trajectory, you know, in sciences, you know, for my entire life. And I actually, you know, did that for about eight years as a professor. And that was, you know, teaching and research and, you know, really, you know, a super opportunity to get to know, you know, my students with multidisciplinary researchers. So, you know, biochemistry researchers, molecular biology researchers. But after doing that for, you know, a number of years, I realized that wasn't Quite suiting my, you know, my personality and my own, you know, kind of um, my why. You, know, you hear about that? Like you got a why and your passion. And as much as I loved, you know, nutrition and you know, helping people be empowered to make educated decisions on the foods that they eat, just wasn't quite doing it for me. I, I wasn't quite feeling the the love of the nutritional sciences space. So did a little career switch and uh, um, ended up in New Jersey for a corporate job. And that's uh in the food industry also, and you know then the goat dairy thing kind of just came along with the being in the, the wilds of New Jersey, but uh, I think really it's you know tying together food and being able to interact in a professional setting with food as the common theme that's really been what i what I really
0: love what I do now, and you know what I you know want to do in the future as I continue to grow up. That's very cool, and I like what you said like you you thought that. Agriculture wasn't going to be the thing for you, but what it turns out you take in school and maybe you're out of is food and food is agriculture. So everything kind of just relates it back. So that's very neat. Yeah, it's funny just to be able to step back and and look
1: at that and, you know, step by step I thought about this is all coming together as the same theme of food. But, you know, you look back and say, oh, well, this, this all kind of makes sense. And I actually wonder if somebody had sat me down, even as a high schooler and, and taught Talk to me about careers in agriculture and what it could, you know, what it could look like besides tomatoes. Maybe I would have gone that route. But I thought, you know, my if I stayed in ag, I would be weeding tomatoes. And actually, the other cool thing about working at the university is I got to know the cooperative extension side of the USDA. So the the USDA, lots of grant opportunities and subsidies for farmers. You know. Uh, you know, huge organization as part of the U.S. government for farmers. Um, But they also connect agriculture research findings with the general public. And I think that's where I, I saw, you know, really interesting opportunity about connecting people with food through the cooperative extension programs at USDA. And although that wasn't part of my job description at the university, it got me, you know, exposed to a lot of different opportunities that was able to, you know, encourage me to pursue other agricultural endeavors after leaving the university.
0: Totally. And I think what you said too, I always just go back to what you said, because it's so insightful when you're a kid and you're doing all of these jobs on the farm and you're like, I don't want to grow up and do this for the rest of my life. Not knowing the different opportunities that are out there in agriculture, you don't have to be a farmer in the field to be a part of agriculture. There are so many different jobs and opportunities within the field of agri that, you know, the possibilities are endless. I, I can't agree with you more. And,
1: you know, starting our goat dairy business, You know, we had to learn a lot about the regulations and, you know, even courses in marketing and building a business plan. You know, I had never thought about any of that, when I was in high school and early in college when I was you know, weeding tomatoes like this is not for me you know I think a lot of what I do enjoy is some of the other aspects beyond you know the the animals and you know the cheese making you know kind of strategizing you know what are you know my goals for next year what other accounts do I want to get on the wholesale side whether the, what other markets might be you know profitable for us to be at and you know what other cheeses might be you know good to add to cheese menu those are all things that I'd never ever considered like strategy side of agriculture. is really fun and engaging for me.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So let's talk more about the goats. What breed of goats are you raising on your farm and why did you end up choosing the breed?
1: So we have 22 alpines and our intact males and our females are registered with the American Dairy Goat Association. Uh, some of our males are weathered, so they don't have their anymore, but they are wonderfully friendly, and they're great at eating the forest. So we still are pursuing that forest management side of things, the whole reason we got goats to begin with. And then we have four Nigerian dwarfs that we call the, the little rascals, because obviously they're much smaller than alpine. And they're, uh, they're four weathered males that uh, really are critical for eating the lowest shrubbery. And it's it's so funny because they can walk underneath the alpines. They got this, you know, kind of squeeze a little bit, but they can get low leaves that the alpines are too cool to bend down to eat. You know, goats are browsers, so they like to eat at face height or even a little bit higher. So we have the two sizes of goats that go out to the forest. So we make sure that that invasive shrubbery gets eaten every little leaf, you know, from bottom to top. Uh, And my, uh, my does right now we're milking five does. So we're very small. You know, we are a farmstead creamery. We have six does in total bred for next season. So we'll stay about the same size. And after that, uh, I'll have the opportunity to breed a lot more lady goats. So we'll see what comes in 2022. But I chose alpines in part because of their disposition. They show a lot of their personalities, their ears and their facial expressions. And not that other goats don't, but like La Manchas don't have, you know, ears. And so that was, you know, one reason that I wanted the goats that showed their personality. And I also like the different color markings and the kind of the random assortment you get in alpines. Sonnens are really good milkers, but they're all white. And so, you know, because we're doing this kind of, started as a hobby, you know, now a business, we wanted goats that we, you know, felt would be, you know, engaging and, and for people to interact with.
0: And definitely the alpines and our four Nigerian dwarfs fit the bill completely. That's very cool. And it's so funny to me that you're talking about the personalities of these goats, because that was something when I started looking into goats, that was one thing I looked into as well. Because if I was going to do this more of a hobby, that kind of thing, I wanted goats that would Interact with me versus be nervous around me or just not really have any personality whatsoever. So that's fair, guys. Also had that as a as a marker for you.
1: Yeah, because you had a goat that had a, a very strong
0: personality. Was that Richard, right? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that was him. He uh, he was very strong personality. Very strong. He really. I think, wanted to like people, but at the same time, he didn't. And he was an intact male, so we both know, obviously, how much they smell. And I just, I can still smell him when I think about him. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yes, so funny. Have you been loving the Rural Woman podcast? Are you wondering how you can support the show? Well, friend, I'm happy to announce that I've recently joined Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, it's a membership-based platform that provides a simple way for you to contribute to the Rural Woman Podcast every month and get exclusive rewards in return. Memberships start as low as $2 a month. Seriously, that's less than your grande, skinny, extra hot caramel macchiato with whip. Wondering what the rewards are? Well, they include promo codes for Shop Wild Rose Farmer, draws for the Rural Woman Podcast merchandise, shoutouts on the show, and more. Your financial support of the Rural Woman podcast will help make it possible for the stories of women in agriculture to continue to be shared. So head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to find out more information about how you can become a patron through Patreon. So tell us what your typical year looks like in regards to breeding for the females.
1: So our alpines are in their estrus cycle somewhere between mid december through January. And remarkably this year, all six of our does that were of breeding age cycled within three days of each other. So we have two intact males. We have Bjorn and Daryl. And Daryl is a kid born this year. So he's, you know, old enough to, to breed with the ladies, but he's a little bit small. And we actually were worried as we were trying to get Daryl hooked up with his dates that he wasn't tall enough to reach his lady friend. So we built a little ramp for him to be able to walk up nice, uh, the lady goats. Uh, but that was all going down in the End of October this year. And so we were just able to confirm that all six of them are bred, which I mean it's gonna be crazy in March. Goats will care babies for about 150 days. So fast forward 150 days will be the end of March. I think we're gonna be not sleeping for three or four days in a row, because I think all six of these ladies are gonna be kidding, you know, rights right, you know, day after day after day. But that thing for us with our dairy production, because that means we'll be on a cycle of feeding the kids. Uh, we do bottle feeding for all the kids. So that prevents them from nursing off of mom when we reintroduce them to the main herd. And it also ensure that they have the right amount of milk. We had two sets of triplets this past year. And I worried that if they were nursing off of mom, one of them wouldn't get enough milk. So we, uh, we have baby bottles all over the kitchen when we're feeding the baby goats. But between now and uh, the end of, they're just going to be getting wider and wider. The lady goats, as they, you know, their babies develop, and then when they kid, most of the time they seem to kid kind of late afternoon. Uh, Obviously, they can kid whenever they want to, but uh, I like afternoon because then we're usually, you know, everything's good by uh, middle of the evening, and then we can, you know, go to sleep and get a few hours of shut eye before we're feeding kid goats again.
0: That's so cute. So. How long are you able to milk the mother goats for for production?
1: So our dairy lactation schedule, if you read the, the literature, you know, the, the books and that, it will say that you can milk the does for 300 days. And I think I probably could get milk out of my dose for 300 days. It's interesting, though, now that all my ladies are bred, I'm noticing a significant drop in milk production, as well as the milk quality is starting to shift. Uh, The fat content is starting to drop. And for our cheese, I don't think it's discernible to uh, an average consumer. But, you know, we're tasting our cheese, you know, every couple of days when we're making it and we can notice that it's not quite as rich and creamy as it was earlier in the season. So we're actually going to be drying the doughs in about a week and that'll give them more time to, you know, focus on their developing babies and, you know, be able to, you know, be you know healthier with less energy going towards milk production and then the bottled milk definitely is a lot um, we we stopped selling bottled milk actually a couple of weeks ago because we just felt the quality wasn't quite there and we would rather have really you know high quality rich creamy milk going out to our customers rather than something that's you know maybe you know kind of getting to the end of its uh cycle so that the ladies will be just you know eating and carrying those baby goats for a couple of months. And that means that we won't have to be making cheese. But at the same time, that means our customers won't be getting cheese. So this is a very strange conversation to have at the farmer's market. We had our last cheese weekend, actually last weekend. And uh, we're telling customers, well, we'll be back in May. And they, they look at me like with a complete like look of shock. And they're like, well, well, why? What's happening? And, you know, I had to explain to them that we're really small. And with, you know, five milking goats, I, you know, I don't have any staggered so I can milk year round. If we were a large operation with, you know, 200 or 300 milking goats, Easily, we could stagger breeding to have year round milk production, but with five, you know, I have to have minimum milk volumes to run the pasteurizer. And once the five gallons of milk, that becomes a little bit hard on the pasteurizer and we, we might not hit all of our heating targets. So, anyway, you know, I think people are so used to going to the supermarket and buying whatever they want all year round. And so, talking about seasonality with them has been a really interesting, you know, conversations. And I've learned a lot too about, you know, consumers' uh, willingness to. Wait until May for the next season. I, I think they all wait, but some of them have been very, very heartbroken.
0: Well, think that they have in their fridge and they're used to having, right? So it's like a it's going to be a very nice treat for them once they start getting it back in the spring. But like you said, being a consumer, going to a grocery store and seeing the food on the shelf. 365. Like you get tomatoes at the grocery store all year around. But if you're growing them in your backyard, we definitely know that we're not able to grow in our climate every single day of the year, right? So yeah, like you said, it's really interesting. It's good that you're having these conversations with people because then they're thinking beyond the scale of, what you can get locally versus what comes from outside of your area. Yep, that's right. So, besides breeding, the purpose of your male goats on your farm is to do some cleanup. So, tell us more about the differences that you've seen since you've moved to your farm to now and the invasive weeds that the goats have been cleaning up.
1: They have done an amazing job. So, when we first moved onto the property, We were walking through the property with our forester. So we're part of a a state-run forest management program that encourages landowners with property to rehabilitate the forest, to remove the invasive plants, to plant new hardwoods. And actually in our area, the ash trees, which are very abundant, are all dying and falling down because they've been a beetle called the emerald ash borer. And this has really been moving across the, the United States. So unfortunately, a lot of our trees are dead and dying, so we actually have a lot of work to do to replant. But you know, in order to plant new hardwoods, we have to have you know a ground area that's open enough to seedlings. And right now we're actually seeing a lot of space open up because these invasive brambly plants are, are dying back, and that's on account on, on account of the goats. So when we were, were walking through the property in talking with our forester. You know, I just remember getting snagged by these brambles, like every step of the way and just kind of just thinking like, oh my gosh, what did we do? What did we buy? I mean, 17 acres of forest isn't that much, but if it's, you know, just a mess of brambles, it's a lot. And uh, as I mentioned, I had tried the roundup uh, effort to get rid of the plants through chemical means. And that just was so unappealing that once we got the goats, we uh, put them out in the forest with portable electric fence. And so we cordon off there that's, I don't know, maybe uh, 100 feet by 100 feet. So like, you know, uh, 30 meters by 30 meters. And they, you know, will be out in the forest for, you know, sometimes one day, sometimes three days, depending on how much uh, there is to eat out there. You know, they have water buckets, they have plenty of shade. And especially in the springtime, when all of the new juicy leaves are emerging, they can't wait to get out there. We'll usually walk them out away from their usual fenced area, could be Two-minute walk could be a five-minute walk. Sometimes we have to bring goat treats to encourage them. Uh, also, sometimes they will get distracted along the way because they'll find something tasty to eat, and then you know we have to say, "Hey, come on! You got you got to follow the group." But they really have a great herd mentality, so we can we can walk with them, you know, bases, and they'll stay right as a group. So the in the last three years, the forest has really transformed. You know, we can move through there, you know, without getting snagged by brambles. We have a lot of open space where we'll be replanting, and And we really hope that we can continue to, you know, see this forest regenerating because it's, you know, it's an important part of our ecosystem. And with the ash trees dying, we know
0: we have to be replanting hardwoods very soon. And, you know, that's going to start up next spring. I know for me personally, not coming from agriculture and really not knowing anything about goats before I started doing my research, the... Browsers versus grazers. That was something that I learned when I was doing my research, because I think I had the notion as well as a lot of other people that goats will eat anything and everything. And that's just not true. Is that something that you've seen with your goats? Are there things that they won't eat in the forest?
1: Definitely. It's it's funny. The barberry is one of those brambly plants that they prefer to eat it at the very end of the season. Now I don't know if it's because the leaves are tastier when we get into September or October, or it's because they've already killed the multiflora rose, which is their favorite. But you know, they won't touch the barberry in April, May, June, July, August. And then all of a sudden September they'll start nibbling on it. And you know, in October it's their preferred you know, leaf of, you know, of choice out in the forest. So it's really strange. that There's also, you know, some other plants that they they tend not to like, and thank goodness, you know, some of them are poisonous. So jack-in-the-pulpit, you know, really cool plant that we, you know, love to see in the forest. It's actually poisonous if the goats eat it, and somehow they know they won't touch that, even if there's, you know, like a whole, you know, kind of, um, you know, spread of the -the jack-in-the-pulpit sprouting up. But, you know, a lot of other foresty things like, you know, maple, oak, hickory, beech you know, they'll, they'll eat the the leaves and the bark off of those hardwoods. So as we start replanting in the spring, we are going to have to be careful of where the goats are placed for their browsing. And I mean, the strategy is that they, you know, browse an area completely clear and that, you know, is open space. Now there's nothing for them to eat anyway. So we wouldn't where we're planting the new trees, but they are selective. The other thing that we have that grows in the forest that's really terrible is a invasive grass. So, although the goats are browsers primarily, this grass is something that they really love. But only after it gets to be about knee high, or maybe even you know a little bit taller than that. So, maybe it's the height of it, maybe it's the the age in that uh, seasonal cycle. But towards you know July, August, when this grass starts growing taller, they will eat it by the mouthful, and that's made a huge in the forest. Also,
0: that's very cool, and it's cool that they are picking what time of year they like eating things because there was definitely times on the farm where I would put my goats near a fence or somewhere around a canal that I wanted them to eat around. And then there was things that they would just not eat. Like they wouldn't eat the dandelions at all until they were getting closer to going to seed. And then they just loved them. So that's really interesting that they're just picky. Overall, just picky and just <laughs> eat absolutely everything in sight. It's so true. And I got to tell you this funny thing.
1: So we have two and a half acres of pasture that unfortunately doesn't get used by the goats, except for just, you know, an area for them to kind of wander around in. But not all of it is um, fenced for them to access. And this summer, we decided to take them out to the pasture with the portable electric fences. You know, we didn't want to mow the pasture without, oh, the goats could eat this grass. It's getting pretty tall. Now, they had no interest in it. And so, you know took them back to the forest and let the forest and got the tractor and the brush hog out and mowed the pasture. And then one time commuting back to their house from the forest, we went past the pasture and they were super excited to eat the grass that was already cut. You think in goats, you know, what you, you need me to serve you the grass? I mean, seriously.
0: (laughs) It's like all you can eat buffet that's served up to them. So they don't have to do any extra effort of mowing it down for you. (laughs) I guess, I guess those silly goats. No doubt. You have heard me tell you all about the amazing benefits that come with being a patron of the Rural Woman podcast through Patreon, but I wanted to share with you a few testimonials from the patron gang themselves. Patron Marina writes, I decided to become a patron of the Rural Woman podcast because I felt a deep connection to all of these women. Being new to the agricultural world, I didn't have a lot of knowledge about other aspects of the egg world. This podcast opens my eyes to how women near and far grow and succeed in their roles. It makes me feel like I'm part of a bigger picture, and I feel as if I have the support of all of these women as I support this podcast, and in return, sharing their beautiful stories. Join Marina in supporting the stories of women in agriculture through the Rural Woman Podcast, starting at $2 a month on Patreon. Visit wildrosefarmer.com slash Patreon to learn more. So tell us more about the products that you're selling off of the farm. You mentioned your milk and your cheese. So how did you learn to make this cheese and what kind of cheeses are you making? The cheese thing, let's see, that
1: probably started in like 2018. I went to goat school in Maine and this was um, a two-day hands-on educational experience. It's like, you know, like day camp for adults to learn about goats. Um, And this is a a small farmstead um, dairy. So they did their all, all their own milk processing and cheese making. Um, So I I learned, you know, from them, like what they were making and mostly fresh cheeses, but also some aged cheese. And for most of 2018, 2019, I just played around making cheese in the kitchen and uh, some of it turned out good. Some of it turned out uh, into the trash (laughs) <laughs> and as we, you know, kind of got more serious about the, the goats and opportunity to start a dairy business, uh, we've Penn State University in Pennsylvania, which is Penn State, is about four hours away. It's their land grant university, like the, the big main state school in Pennsylvania. They have a series of workshops that you can take. And one of them is called the uh, sense of cheese making. So my husband signed up for that and he took this week long course at Penn State where he learned all the details of cheese making like beyond what i was doing with just kind of dabbling around with some recipes and making things that were may not edible he came back from we called it cheese camp he came back from cheese camp and had this like knowledge base that was just amazing and then he started taking over cheese making you know just for our own you know knowledge building and you know, being able to monitor pH, for example, in the cheese making process critical. And as soon as he started doing that, oh my gosh, every batch of cheese he made was great. And, you know, that was really a critical learning opportunity for us uh, to learn from, you know, the professors at Penn State. And really it was geared towards, you know, small farms that wanted to start a dairy business or even, you know, people who are in the dairy industry or, or, you know, starting off in the dairy industry to, you know, be able to learn all the details of cheese making. So our menu right now is pretty limited. We are making chev, which is your really your typical goat cheese. Many places will offer it as kind of a log shape. So it's a little bit drier, but you would still like, you know, kind of spread it on your bread or your cracks. We make ours so it's a little bit softer, like a whipped cream cheese. And we sell it in a jar, it's a cute little jar. Um, and that has definitely been our best seller. And it's funny, people will come to our farmer's market table and just ask for goat cheese. And I'll say, well, we have Chev, and we also have 100% goat milk feta. And they'll say, well, oh, I'll take... <laughs> and I think it's because a lot of people don't realize you could make lots of cheeses with goat's milk, right? So we also make feta. And although feta is typically made with cow's milk or cow and sheep milk, goat milk makes an amazing feta. And it's not, the feta we make is not as dry as some of the fetas you'd find in the store, so it's not crumbly, but we, we cube it up so you can put it on your salad. I've been guilty of eating an entire container as kind of a snack. Oops. And uh, it's, you know, just like a really kind of tangy, but firmer textured cheese compared to the chev. And then we're bottling milk. And that was kind of a weird thing to start off with. You know, goat's milk has an acquired flavor to it. I think from... Our perspective the the goatee flavor is much milder in our goat's milk, our bottled goat's milk, because it's processed right on the farm. It doesn't go on a tank or truck to drive to a processing facility. Like in all seriousness, it goes from the bulk tank and it moves two and a half feet to the pass through a hole in the wall and a tube that goes between the bulk tank and the pasteurizer. So it doesn't move very far. And I think that's part of what makes our, our cheese as well as our bottled milk just taste really bright and bright compared to some of the store bought products. So that's our, our menu. It's only two cheeses and the goat's milk right right now, but we're dabbling around with mozzarella-style cheese. We did a beta test uh, at the beginning of this week. That did not turn out very good, so we're going to try again. <laughs> and then we want to start doing aged cheeses, but we don't quite have the infrastructure in place yet. We need to have a, an aging cave, which you know may not actually be a cave. It might be you know a wine refrigerator where we, where we can control the humidity and the temperature carefully, uh, but we have to do that for next season.
0: That's very cool. And my mouth is watering because I personally love goat cheese. So I'm just sitting here thinking like I could use that for a snack right now.
1: (laughs) When it's so funny, you know, people will
0: say, you know,
1: oh, well, my husband doesn't eat goat cheese, but I do. And, you know, of course, I'm like, well, you should try, you know, our chef, you know, get the small container. And if you like, you can get the big container. And, you know, sometimes these customers will come back the next week and say, well, my husband decided he likes goat cheese and I'm, you know, that's like the most joyous moment for me. I'm like, yes, I've converted somebody because I think, you know, people you have preconceived notions about what things are supposed to taste like, but, you know, just as with beer and wine, you know, cheese is so diverse and, you know, talking about goat cheese would be like talking about red wine. You know, there's so many different styles of red wine. It would be silly to categorize one sort of thing, you know, likewise with goat cheese.
0: Yes, totally. And goat cheese definitely goes well with red wine in case anybody is wondering. <laughs> <laughs> so I see that you have your quality dairy producer uh, certification. Can you tell us more about what that is and what that means for your farm?
1: So that was one of the things that we wanted to, you know, get kind of right away, even before we were pursuing all the details of lighting. So the quality dairy producer certification comes from Langston University in Oklahoma. And their extension program for goats is is very extensive you know so they're connecting producers with the researchers at the university to share you know researchers are learning through their studies and you know be able to enable the producers to you know have better agricultural practices with both meat goats and dairy goats so the quality dairy goat producer curriculum was all online and it was i don't know probably 15 chapters of ranging from you know basic herd health you know Uh, You know, diagnosing an abscess or mites or, you know, what's a a good deworming practice to, you know, then, you know, milk processing, handling, dealing with goats after they pass. And, you know, how do you deal with that carcass? Because obviously if the goat dies of natural causes, you're not going to be eating it or selling it. You know, how do you deal with that? So it's very broad and, you know, extensive curriculum And I took that curriculum back in 2018 also to understand all the ins and outs of what it would take to be a dairy producer. And it's been invaluable. I use those resources from the certification courses on a weekly basis, you know, because it might be a question that comes up like, oh, you know, this goat is looking, you know, maybe just a little bit crooked. What are the different things that might be wrong with him? And, you know, how could I, you know, provide a little bit of care before I call the vet, or do I need to call it right away, you know, then to the, the milk side of things, which is, you know, really important for us to learn about because it talks about all the different aspects of, you know, controlling your temperatures and, you know, pathogen management. And, you know, dairy farming is a, a pretty serious endeavor because of the foods and and we take that very seriously. So that was a, a good curriculum for me to get the basics kind of under my belt. And then obviously we promote that, that we are quality- dairy producer, and, you know, hope that that instills some additional trust from active the that they're buying products from, you know, a farm that has, you know, the highest standards in terms of animal care, as well as our milk processing.
0: Very cool. You guys also have on-farm events that you guys host or invite people to come to your farm. Tell us more about
1: so that was something we were so excited to start up in the spring of this year. And then guess what happened? COVID. <laughs> <laughs> that put a wrench in things. Uh, we, you know, we really excited about having people come out earlier this year, to meet the goats, to, you know, be able to feed the babies, to, you know, take goats for hikes. And that's all been delayed. And, you know, I think of it as, you know, maybe there there was a reason for that because we could focus on other aspects of our business. But our is extremely social. They love to hang out with people. So we offer opportunities for people to come and meet the goats to, you know, kind of get up and close and personal with them. Sometimes, you know, they want to, you know, learn more about the farming aspect. So we do our farm tours. So the local community can come out and see what we're doing, see, you know, how their cheese is made, you know, what does it take to, you know, have a farmstead creamery. And, you know, it's funny when I talk to customers at first market, you know, sometimes the question will come up like, oh, well, you know, how often do you milk the goats? You know, I say, well, twice a day, morning and evening. And, you know, the looks that I get from them, it's just, you know, they're astounded, like, how on earth could you find time to do that? You know, So being able to bring, you know, people to our farm, I think an enabling of, you know, where does their food come from? And, you know, I like to think that, you know, we're pretty regular people. Maybe we're a little bit weird because we're goat farmers, but, you know, we're just, you know, we're just community members like everyone else. And to be able to make that connection, you know, with the folks that their jobs, you know, other, you know, aspirations to just be able to think about this all happens in the same, you know, community. To me, that's really important. And that's one of the things that I think is really fun about being in agriculture.
0: Yeah, totally. I like how you said that maybe you're a little strange for being a goat farmer. I believe that goat people have a stigma and uh, I think we're ending this stigma with these podcasts that we're (laughs) recording here. (laughs) Or at least hopefully we are. (laughs) I hope so. I hope so. Right? (laughs) Goat people are normal people too or normal anyways. Normal. Yes, normal-ish. I think that's the best way to say it. I think so. (laughs) Maria, it has been so great being able to chat with you this afternoon and learn all about your wonderful goat farm. My last question for you today is: What is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you?
1: Well, if I can offer two things, I think the, I was just touching on it, it's it's connecting people with food, and you know I love you know helping people understand where their food comes from, and you know. Why are they going to be unable to buy cheese from us for the next four months? And, you know, what does it take to make cheese? Because it doesn't just come from the supermarkets. There's a whole process behind that. So I think connecting people with food and, you know, helping them, you know, just realize what goes into, you know, food production. That's really rewarding for me because I, I see the light bulbs go off. But really wakes me up every morning is the goats. I mean, it's the goats. They're they're funny. Even when they get into trouble, you know, I can be mad at them for a moment, but, you know, it just melts away when they look at you with those eyes and maybe they go, meh. And, you know, just they, they bring me so much joy. <laughs> it's either the kids or the goats.
0: Or that's what really makes me tick and makes me smile at the end of the day. Those are definitely both good things and probably a tie for you. And I think probably a tie for most goat people. So. <laughs> Yep, that's right. That's right. For the listeners who would like to keep in contact with you after the show, where can they find you online?
1: So we are on Instagram at gorgeous underscore goat on Facebook at Gorgeous Goat, all one. And our website is GorgeousGoat.com.
0: Great. And I will link all of those in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. And Maria and I are going to stop recording here on this podcast and head on over to our Patreon exclusive podcast right now. So thank you again so much, Maria, for joining us on the Rural Woman podcast today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: Friends, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. Starting in January 2021, you can hear bonus content from this interview as well as others over on Patreon. Joining and supporting sharing the stories of women in agriculture through the Rural Woman podcast just got better. Starting at the $10 a month tier or higher you get bonus episodes, exclusive content, discounts, merchandise, and more. Don't forget, you can join the patron gang over on Patreon from now until December 31st, 2020, and be entered to win a Google Nest Mini, where you can listen to all of your favorite episodes of The Royal Woman Podcast. To learn more, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. Friends, thank you again so much for tuning into this week's episode, and we will see you back here real soon. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.